0: You're using the story as a model for a story. So you put the story in the brain, and it can be five sentences or 15 sentences or 500 sentences. It doesn't matter how long the story is.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudoir Hi, everyone. This week, we're going to switch it up a bit and play for you the audio portion of one of our IEW webinars. Because the webinar itself is over an hour, we're splitting it into two parts, but we'll post both of them this week. And we'll post any links or websites mentioned in this recording at IEW.com podcast. Enjoy.
0: Well, good evening. Andrew Pudewa here from our IEW headquarters in beautiful eastern Oklahoma, where it has finally cooled down enough that being outside is somewhat pleasant, for which we are all very grateful. It's so good to see so many of you here. Boy, we've got someone in Japan where it's morning. We've got folks from Canada. We've got East Coast, West Coast. We've got CC tutors and directors. We've got first-time webinar attendees. Congratulations. We've got some very experienced people. Kimberly, maybe you could take over and teach the thing for me. It's wonderful to see so many. I am, of course, Andrew Pudewa, Director of the Institute of Excellence in Writing, and we will be conducting this webinar as we always do. We are, of course, tonight going to be addressing Unit 3 of the Structure and Style Writing Syllabus you can access the information in the old notebook. If you have one that looks like the one on the left, the 2000 version, it would be on page 27, and 69, the tips and tricks handout. If you have a new teaching, writing, structure, and style, the 2014 edition, then you would have it on page 31 to 50. And if you don't know about the upgrade that you can get to the new edition, Click on that link because it's a fantastic deal, and for basically just the cost of goods, we will replace your old DVDs with a new one and send you a brand new book. It's much more complete, comprehensive, lots of more answers to questions, specific to grade level advice, as well as much larger selection of student samples that we think helps everyone understand how to teach the program better. We do each month a webinar. We start in September with Unit 1 and 2. Here we are in October with Unit 3. Next month in November, we'll do this review and refinement webinar on summarizing references. Then we'll hit writing from pictures in December and January. We usually throw in an extra webinar there in one of those months about the uh, style techniques, specifically zooming in on dress ups, openers, decorations, triple patterns, things like that. And in February, we'll hit Unit 6. March, Unit 7, which once was called creative writing, we now term it inventive writing for reasons that I will explain then. We hit the formal essay models in April, and in May, the formal critique. So this is our webinar schedule, and the goal is not to teach people the unit for the first time. We are presuming that you have at least watched the video seminar or perhaps come to a live one and have been teaching a little bit, at least hopefully, so that these ideas are not new to you. We're going to review, refine, expand them a little bit. If you are completely new to structure and style, you don't have to run away or shut down or say goodbye. You're welcome to stay, but just understand that we're going very, very fast through a lot of content because we're presuming that most people have had that before. You'll want to take the time and go over it later in your own uh, slower fashion with the TWSS materials. Unit 3 history, very interesting. The first idea for the story sequence chart belongs to Mrs. Ingham, or I don't know if she thought of the thing completely. It's something that many people know. She articulated it in a particular way that seemed to be very, very helpful. And she was teaching uh, grade 1 and 2 in Saskatchewan. And Dr. Webster, her nephew, was over at her house for Thanksgiving and picked up a little pile of papers on the coffee table he saw there. And he started reading these stories. And he said, "Uh, Aunt Gertrude, this is horrible. Your grade one and two students are writing stories that are uh, really better and more interesting than my grade five children are writing. How do you do this? How do you get them to do it? And so she penciled out. The story sequence chart as we will go over it tonight. A shorter kind of version that a grade 1-2 student could handle, not the full three paragraph version. But Dr. Webster looked at it and said well that's three parts that would correspond very well with what we do in science. And all the grade 5 students do very well in science because they they have each paragraph has a, a purpose. So the first part is the hypothesis, the equipment, and and the second part is the process and the outcome. And then the third part is the conclusion uh, and analysis. And they can do this because each section has its goal and its specific questions that it answers. And so Webster really got the idea for the three paragraph model while teaching grade five in Vancouver and choosing to correspond the parts of the story sequence chart with three parts as we would now call paragraphs or sometimes I call in Unit 3 mini chapters. So one of the most important things and one of the things that is tough for new teachers. I, I noticed several of you are your first year teaching. Someone said, well, we tried it last year but kind of got stuck and quit so I'm trying again. Well, congratulations on trying again. That That is good. But Unit 3 sometimes is the spot where the teachers and the students, they're used to getting key words from each sentence of a short little source text, like an Aesop fable or a bit of information about an interesting animal, person, place, anything like that. In this case now, we're not going to be looking at getting key words from the text per se. Instead, we have a process we're gonna go through here. First, with unit three, we have to put the story into the mind. So we're going to read the story. And a very important thing to remind you of, unit three source stories can be any length. They could be half page Aesop fable that you expand into a little bit more detailed of a version of that fable. They could be a three page fairy tale, a Greek myth. It could be a 10-page O. Henry story, it could be a movie, it could be a book, it could be in some cases a country-western song, as long as it has the essential components of characters, problem, and resolution. And because it can be any length, we're a lot more flexible, which is really very convenient and good thing, but you have to understand the process. You put the story into your brain by reading it, maybe maybe two, maybe three times. Read it, talk about it, be sure it's as clear as possible. And then we use the story sequence chart to pull the story out of the brain, and that's how we get the keyword outline. So this is very often the place where people get stuck. They, they look at a story and say, I don't, I don't know how we could possibly take keywords from every sentence in this thing. And the answer is, you're not. It's a new unit, it's a new method, it's a new way of extracting keywords. It's the first of the creative units. Of course, Unit 3, 5, and 7 are the, the story, the narrative, the creative, the inventive side of the syllabus, whereas Units 4, 6, and 8 are kind of the research report, research uh, essay, fact based side. So, this is the first of the inventive side units, and because of that, have to have this different system you're using the questions of the story sequence chart to pull the content out of the story so you're going to identify the story sequence and make an outline based on the story sequence chart when you summarize stories from outlines or retell existing stories then what happens is you internalize the components of a well constructed story and then you also are learning in unit three that each paragraph or part or division has a specific job, a specific purpose, and that's something we try to make clear to the students in Unit 3, each paragraph has a purpose, Then in Unit 4, the purpose of the paragraphs is more similar, but that idea that they all have a job to do is present in the mind of the student. You can use our story sequence chart poster that you have uh, access to a color PDF of that poster if you're a premium subscriber, which I believe most of you are. We also, for classroom teachers or anyone who would want one, we have the larger poster on thick laminated poster board that you can buy. Those would be for hanging on the wall in a classroom that would have more students. It could be easy to see. But get yourself a poster. You can even make your own if you don't like ours but have a story sequence chart poster on the wall. You'll need some source text, and of course, again, we help with any of the theme-based writing books. I know many of you are doing Classical Conversations, so this year you're working through the medieval history-based writing, and the Unit 3 narrative stories there, Augustine, the Archbishop of Canterbury, The Sword in the Stone. Then if you have a co-op, perhaps you've got stories going. If you're looking for stories on your own, We provide a good number of them in the TWSS, and then we have a file that has just straight source stories, and so you can use those. Then again, all of the theme-based have them. And as I mentioned, any length of story will work. Short Aesop's Fables are, are a good start. If it's too short, it's not long enough to flesh out the story sequence chart. That can make you frustrated. Longer ones would tend to probably work better in this case, but certainly myths like Midas and the Golden Touch, fairy tales like Cinderella, those can certainly work as well. And so here's the story sequence chart poster. I hope it's clear enough. The first paragraph, or you could call it a mini chapter, is where you tell one or more of the characters. You don't have to tell about all of them, but you have a character at least and a setting. So you've got somebody in a situation to do something. And the setting would be the when and the where. And then sometimes there's other elements such as in the fox and the crow, the cheese is an element of the story that is necessary for that story to occur. That'd be part of the setting. In fact, one good way to think about setting isn't to think when and where, but to think set up. What are all the circumstances? That are necessary and you can get more in that first section. Then of course you've got a conflict or a a problem. The conflict or problem is of course having the characters generally have a want or need. We want to find the very treasure. We need to escape these bad guys. We want to climb that mountain. We need to get rid of this magic ring. You can sometimes create a very exhaustive story, a multi-book story off one seemingly simple little problem. Then once the characters have a want or need that is creating some, some type of problem or conflict, then you just ask what do they think, what do they say, what do they do? What else do they think, what else do they say, what else do they do? What else do they think, say, or do? And you can usually spin that out just by asking the questions again and again, and you can get more details if need be. Then the third, of course, of the story sequence chart, the climax, the turning point, the beginning of the end, the spot where you see, aha, this is how it's all gonna work out. So in the fox and the crow, the crow opens her mouth, the cheese drops, and you, the reader, see, aha, fox is gonna gobble that cheese and tell the crow what he thinks of her and she's gonna ruminate on how that whole thing happened and what does it mean. In the bat and the nightingale, the climax or turning point is, When the nightingale is singing happily and the bat sits out from eating mosquitoes he kind of goes on strike because she's been criticizing him and then the mosquitoes because the bat isn't taking care of them attack the emperor and then the emperor and his court they run from the river because of the horrible mosquito problem and so that's kind of the turning point in that story sometimes you feel like the turning point or the climax is happening uh, more conveniently at the end of the second paragraph or sometimes you feel it's more natural to come at the beginning of the third paragraph that's fine it can go either way there's we don't want to be too rigid the people who get stuck at unit 3 tend to be the those who are you know very rigid tell me exactly the right way to do this and then they're afraid if they don't do it exactly the right way and i will tell you honestly there is no exactly right way to do this. There are a hundred ways that it could be done. And the more you just do it and talk it through and get ideas from kids and don't worry about whether it's right. Just put words on the whiteboard, get words in the keyword outline and it'll come out in the wash, I promise you. So I actually want my students to memorize the chart and I give them a little quiz and say, you're going to have to produce this from memory on a quiz next week or two weeks from now or whatever, I want them to know it so well that they could actually explain it or teach it to someone else. So keep it handy, memorize the chart, get the posters up, and there you go with the PDF mini subscription and the direct links there on that page. So if you wanna click over there and find that real fast, you can. How to teach Unit 3? Well, when any new unit, you always begin with a group demonstration and that's if you have a group. If you're doing this one-on-one with a child at home, you just pretend that you're the teacher and you're also another student and you're participating. and you just do a little teamwork and make it happen together. Hopefully, you've got another student or two that you can do with if you have a class, either a co-op or a, an after-school little tutoring class or part of, of course, a structured program like CC. Even if it's just you and your kids, you can have students of a wide age range sit in and make keyword outline with you on a whiteboard together. So someone who's a little too young to really do much writing or copy work, they might have some ideas, contribute to the keyword outline. Someone who's a little bit old may be in there too. So I think there's a nice synergy if you can begin with a group. You may need to read the story again, and that's okay, as I mentioned. Then you'll refer to the story sequence chart and ask the questions. And there they are all in bold. Who, what, when, where, what do they need or want, what do they think, what do they do, how is the problem solved, and why. Why have the story? Is there some kind of message lesson or thing from the story that would be particularly helpful to people in general? Don't choose the words from each sentence, but of course, if you read the sentence and put it in the brain, then you ask the questions and pull it out of the brain, then some of those keywords may appear on the page of the source text. You're just not looking on the page of the source text for the keywords. I hope that's clear. If not, someone can ask a question. The questions are a guide, they don't all need to be answered. Some things may be a little fuzzy and you don't know. You don't know what they're thinking. You know what they're doing, but you don't know what they're thinking. That's okay. What did they do? What else did they do? What did they say? What else did they say or do? And then it's also nice to pre-prepare the students for writing, using dress-ups and sentence openers. So looking at some of the LY word options, some of the strong verbs that might come up in that story, some of the adjectives that could describe the characters in the setting, and try to do a little bit of pre thinking. I like to put word lists, you know, all over the whiteboard. I like to have a very nice large whiteboard. Even if I had two students, I'd still want a nice large whiteboard. I would say if you you know, if you have a great big whiteboard, wonderful. If you you got a small little thing you could you do better just to invest in a larger one and if you don't have a whiteboard at all well you're totally blowing it so you better get with the program and get yourself a nice whiteboard as soon as possible it doesn't have to be one of those big $300 things from Office Depot you can for $24 get a nice 4x8 sheet of laminate masonite tack it on the wall and when it gets scratched up or something just replace it but whiteboard very important if you have a group then I like to have the students kind of go off into pairs and tell each other the story from their notes. So, again, we're not dropping the verbal part, the telling back part that we established in Unit 1 and 2. We're going to reinforce that. Maybe, though, use it a little more sparingly, depending on where you're at with the sequence. And then you're going to use three paragraphs or three, what you might call, as I did, mini chapter or three section using the outline based on the story sequence chart. So that's the process. The story clincher rule is simply the rule that says that the last sentence in the story will repeat one to three words of the title. Or you could call it the title rule, and that is that the title would repeat one to three words from the last sentence or the story clincher. And that tends to work very well. That way, you know, you can use a story like The Boy Who Cried Wolf, and people can kind of play with it as they go, choose an interesting title, and then you don't have The Boy Who Cried Wolf. You've got The Bloody Cap, right? Or Death by Stupidity, or The Boy Who Learned a Lesson, something like that. All right. Now, we did this in the webinar last year on Stone Soup, and I'm sure most of you are familiar with the story. We're actually going to skip this tonight, not going to read the story, not going to make the outline, but you would do it the same way. You have the characters and setting. Who's in the story? What are they like? When and where does it happen? Is there anything else there that you need for the setup? Okay. Next, what's the problem, the plot, the conflict? what do they want or need, what do they think, what do they say, what else do they say and do, what else do they say and do, what else do they say and do, and then, of course, the climax, turning point, resolution, how is this story, this conflict or need resolved, what happens after that, is there any message or lesson embedded in the story, and can you comment on that without accidentally kind of moralizing, you know, that's kind of, challenging, but, you know, you can work with it. Students can work with it. Here is a picture of the keyword outline that I did last year from this story, and so you can kind of see characters and setting. All right, there's a tramp who's traveling, very ingenious guy. He met the old woman who was alone. She was suspicious. Traveler was hungry, and he knocked on the door, and she said, we don't have any food, so there you have the setup. So then the problem, uh, the traveler wanted to have a meal, and so he offered a magic stone that would make a most remarkable soup. She was interested, so invited him in, and they put a fire on the pot on the stove, and then he asked if there could be some seasoning, some barley. They added in some chicken, kept putting more in each, and the husband was pleased, the traveler left, and they said, oh, come back, and he had taken his stone anyway so if you'd like to kind of walk through that whole process click this link later where it says webinar archives and it'll take you to last year's webinar and you can go through it but as I said we we uh, need to get to the rest of the content and there's a lot to uh, be talking about in addition to the basics how to make the keyword outline one thing of course we want to continue the public speaking especially if you have a group So retelling from notes is a valuable tool for attention and comprehension. Don't stop the public speaking. It's particularly efficient, uh, you know, effective to help English language learners, struggling writers or readers. And the basic rule of talking from the keyword outline is you look at the words and think of the sentence, but then you have to look up from the paper, remember the sentence you thought of when you were looking at the paper and thought of it, so you got to hold that in your memory long enough to then look at the people and say the sentence you thought of. So the basic rule is that you can't speak. You don't speak while your eyes are on the paper. All right, we're going to stop for a minute. I want to take a look at a couple of these questions, because one of the real reasons to join in a live webinar is to get your questions answered. What are your recommendations for supporting a parent whose first language is not English? So yes, you're a teacher. You've got a a co-op or a group of some sort and the mom's first language is not English. Well, you're going to do the best you can. If the parent is sitting in the class, that's good because then she will have a better grasp of what you're asking the students to do. So, you know, the first thing would be, please stay. Please don't, you know, run off, go to Starbucks, go shopping. Sit here and, and do this with us. Often a child has one parent who isn't the fluent in English one, fluent in the native language, but another one who is, and so saying, okay, if English is not mom's forte, could you read your story to dad, tell your keyword outline to dad, let dad proof it, let him look at it. So I don't have a, a simple solution, but I do know that many parents have said they learned a lot about writing and about English. They feel less confident about their spoken English than their written English often. As the students use the computer more and more, I'm finding that the rough draft is being typed on the computer, edited on the computer, and then printed as a final draft. So the fruit of editing is unobservable by me as a teacher. I keep going back and forth on whether or not to require students to print the rough draft, mark it up, correct it, and then reprint. Well, that's a tough one, and it probably depends a lot on the age of your students and also how experienced they are. There's absolutely no rule that says you can't require them to handwrite a first draft and get it edited and you look at that process then they type up the final maybe they re-edit and retype the final but there's there's certainly you know that's a good discipline and I would say if you're working with children who are grade three through probably six or seven it's a reasonable request that they do their first draft on paper with perhaps the exception of the student who is just so dyslexic, they cannot possibly put words on paper. But that would be the exception rather than the rule. With older kids, you know, upper middle high school, y- you kind of do have to trust them. You can always say, here's the best way to do it. They may or may not do it that way. They may or may not believe you. Adjust yourself to the age of the students reasonably and continue to demonstrate the best way to go. You know, that'll sometimes help and sometimes not. But certainly today, kids are all about technology. I mean, good heavens, I know kids who don't type. They just talk their paper into their phone and email the thing to their computer and put it on Word and print it out. And then you wonder, why is there so many problems with capitals and punctuation? Well, did you even look at it? Yeah, maybe, maybe not. Fourth grader doing I W along with two middle schools, still in the, working on the who, which clause, and we'll be adding LY this week, that's great. Two older doing LY who, which, strong verb, because how do I catch him up and not make him feel we're going too fast? I do work with him on easier stories one-on-one, but very much want him to be a part of our group. The thing I think is just fine, especially since he's younger, that is okay, because he doesn't need to catch up. It's, you know, if he's younger, naturally in his mind, they're gonna be doing more advanced stuff. So I would just say, follow the basic principle. You can do the keywords together, that's fine. Or you can put them in a group of three to figure it out on their own, or they can all try it on their own, and you go help him. But then I would say, you know, customize the checklist for the level of challenge using the basic rule, easy plus one. Because you want to be sure that you're operating at a point where you never are adding in the stylistic techniques too fast. If a student ever says, oh, this is just too much to think about, do we have to do everything? They're basically saying, you taught me too much too fast and this is too hard, so could we slow down? It's way better to go too slow than too fast, especially you've got a grade four student and you've got two middle schoolers. So I wouldn't catch him up or worry about it. I would see, you know, if he could, great, but I would just give him a different checklist, even though you're writing The same story. And you can do that in a classroom too, teachers. You can take your top couple students, give them a special top secret checklist with the next technique or two on, and then you can take your bottom and just cross off a couple things from this checklist. Don't worry about it. Regarding the source story, can you use a child's own story as a starting point? (laughs) That kind of segues into the next talk here, source options. I would be hesitant to do that only because of a couple concerns. Number one, I want to get a story that I can put in their brain so that they get the exercise of finding it and pulling it out and putting it into an outline. That That's part of the goal of unit three. If they've got an existing story and they're gonna go make a keyword outline and then rewrite the existing story that they already wrote, that might not make much sense to them. In terms of writing an original story, yes, that is one of the variations You know on the use of the story sequence chart but i would be hesitant to start there because you might lose the opportunity for modeling some stories that have really good clear types of you know conflict and resolution sometimes kids write stories but they don't put in conflicts and resolutions uh, or they're a little shy on the setting and they have a lot of violence or they have a lot of dialogue or they have a lot of this or that so if you take a fable or a fairy tale or a myth or something that you know has been around for hundreds of years and retell that at least you know you're working with a story that's pretty solid in terms of having those narrative elements so the answer to your question is you can but i would be hesitant especially in the beginning of the unit you know, maybe try something like that at the end of the union. When asking questions, you have more than three words to answer. Can you add the additional info into a new number? Sure, you can have three, four, five, six numbers if you want. There's no there's no rule about how many numbers you have to have under each section. That would be fine. And here, just to remind everybody, in a keyword outline, just like you do 1 and 2, symbols, numbers, abbreviations are free. So once you've established a character, you know, like the bat and the nightingale, you can just put B for bat and N for nightingale. You don't have to write those again. And those are free. Those would be symbols or abbreviations. So yes, very flexible in the keyword outline here. And I'm having a hard time getting my child to retell the story. He's eight. Well, that could be a language problem. It could be a comprehension issue. It could be a shyness point. I wouldn't worry too much, you know, Aid is very young, and he might, if he could see someone else doing that, either someone else who's in a group, if you're part of a group, or a a sibling, telling back the story from the keyword outline, but I think you could, you know, kind of do it together and prompt him, and don't worry, basically, when it comes to reading and writing, and you have an eight-year-old boy, the immediate advice, just you know categorically is don't worry <laughs> he's young eight-year-old boys are are generally a year to two neurologically younger than girls that same age so you certainly don't want to compare them and you know a lot of boys are going to develop in different ways either you know with the, the eye hand coordination thing or with the linguistic thing or with the maturity thing so I would just you know no stress take it easy you tell it back and then let him tell what he can remember of what you're telling him back, or find someone to model it. I think that might be helpful. Do you need to write a line in the outline for each sentence? No, 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 Janet, Janet, thank you for asking the question. This shows the key difference here. I went over it at the beginning, but unit one and two are very different from unit three. In unit one and two, yes, you are going sentence by sentence, choosing three keywords from each sentence, Therefore, you've gotta keep those source texts short. In unit three, no, no, no. You're using the story as a model for a story. So you put the story in the brain and it can be five sentences or 15 sentences or 500 sentences. It doesn't matter how long the story is. You put that story in the brain and then you pull it out according to the story sequence chart by answering the questions that are on that story sequence chart. Who's in the story? What are they like? When and where do they go? Or where are they? What are the circumstances? You ask those questions. The answers to those questions become the keywords in the outline. So while it looks the same, it looks similar, the way you get the keywords is very different. So Janet, I strongly recommend that you rewatch Unit 3 on the DVDs maybe more than once, watch last year's Unit 3 webinar that we put the link to so that you are able to see how we did that with the stone soup a little more clearly and then practice a little bit on your own. If you did not do the bat and the nightingale practicum in the TWSS course, then that's my first assignment for you. Do that practicum yourself and you'll understand this process a whole lot better. So. Thank you for asking that question. There's someone else who might have had that little bit of confusion as well.
1: We do have to stop here because we're out of time for today. But because we don't want to leave you hanging too long, we'll go ahead and post the rest of the content later this week. Thanks so much for joining us.